You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, episode 89. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, that isn't Mark yet again. Well, first of all, I want to apologize for there not being episode of Geekiest Show Ever last week. Uh, I was traveling. I took uh, my family on the annual sojourn we make up to Pennsylvania to ride the Santa Claus train. So, unfortunately... Uh, we just couldn't sync up schedules, and I think Mike, or excuse me, Mark sent out a tweet about that. So I do want to apologize to the listeners. But this weekend, it's all on Mark's shoulders. Mark is uh, moving house, as he would say, and as everybody knows, that's quite a chore if you've ever done it yourself. And the last time I spoke with him, he was still waiting for the uh, movers to show up, or removal men, as he says. And so he's in the process of relocating... And then he'll have to set up, uh, you know, uh, Mark Greentree Studios Incorporated in a new location and all that. So this week again, once again, I am joined by my good friend and uh, fellow American. So we have a distinctly American flavor again on the podcast, Mr. Mike McPeak. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. You know, I'm starting to feel uh, kind of like the fifth Beatle here. I mean, you and Mark would be uh, John and uh, Paul, and I'm getting to feel like I had to go look it up because I've heard the phrase the fifth Beatle used before. Um, I didn't know exactly who it applied to. Well, I did some research, and the first one they said was uh, Stu Sutcliffe. Well, he died. I didn't want to be him. Um, There was Peter Best. Well, he got kicked out of the group. I didn't want to be him. Finally, I just uh, figured it out that sometimes they talked about Billy Preston being the fifth Beatle because he'd come in and play keyboards. And at one time, they uh, he was almost uh, they had kind of kicked around the idea of bringing him into the group, but they didn't. But that's what I'm starting to feel like here. I'm just the other guy that uh, when you two need somebody to step in and fill in for something. I'm here to do it, so I'm your go-to man, I guess. Well, you know, uh, I, it seems that you step in a lot of stuff, much like myself. <laughs> Watch how you say that. I, I grew up on a farm. That has a completely different connotation. And that's the one I was going for, but anyway. <laughs> um, no, we, we, we really appreciate it. And I would like to point out that it has not been me that has missed, that Mike hasn't had to sub for me. Mike has had to be the Aussie on this on the side of the show, so uh, you know, I, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I don't know. It could be interesting. Me and uh, an Aussie trying to do a show. The the culture, class, and age difference itself might make for a certain amount of hilarity there. Yeah, and as as listeners know that have heard Mike and I talk before, we are those. As the last episode was entitled, "Men of a Certain Age." Um, we are both now eligible for our AARP discounts across the board. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get that card. I think hey, hotel rooms and such. It's sixteen bucks a year, and your wife gets free membership even if she's not of the age. Well, she's actually six months older than I am. I married an older woman, so. Oh dear! See now, <laughs> I married a younger one. Mine's mine's about four and a half years younger than I am. So. Oh well, <sighs> you know it, it works out. Yeah, it all works out in the end. So this week, uh, Mike and I have got a few topics that we thought would be interesting. Uh, I could go on for a long while and bash on Mark for the reason he isn't here, but, you know, I'll cut him some slack. He's a friend. It's close to the holidays, and, yeah, we'll, we'll give him a break. But uh, Mike, as, I, Mike, as Mike and I are, have a propensity to do, uh, being uh, of a little more senior age than some of our listeners and some of our friends, we like to talk about things from the past. And one of the things, being seasonal, we thought we'd talk about some of the geek gifts of the past. And, uh, Mike, you, you had a couple of good things that you wanted to talk about. 
Well, yeah, um, you know, it kind of came to mind. I was doing my uh, Barter in the Plains podcast just then. I was talking about Christmas memories and everything. And, you know, I was talking about some of the gifts that I got. And I realized that some of them, they, you know, they were geek gifts. Because my definition of a geek gift is something that makes a person uh, uh, think and, you know, in a fun way. Um, because, you know, you could get an encyclopedia, but that may not necessarily be fun. But these are fun gifts that you actually learn something from. And one of the things I was talking about was I'd gotten a present called a Torlograph. Now, you know, I, I didn't see that one advertised as much as it's uh, probably the one that it's based off of, the Spirograph, the one where you had these ro- uh, round plastic circles with little gear cogs in them. Then you would put a smaller uh, gear cog inside there and put your pen inside one of the holes, and you'd go around the circle there. And depending upon where you put your pen, you'd make all these different spiral uh, designs. Well, this one was it ha- was on, mounted on a, a kind of a sheet metal plate it had about uh four different cogs on it if i remember right and so with this long metal arm so you put one end of the arm in one of the cogs and you put a pin in it and then one of the cogs would hold a uh, the larger cog would hold a like a probably a four by four inch uh, sheet of paper well then wherever you positioned your pen and whatever uh, number uh, hole you put your uh, arm in you would sit there and twirl it around and the paper the paper go around around this arm would go back and forth and you could use that to make spiral designs you know actually you know it's kind of you know mathematics based it's you know the arc and cosine and that kind of stuff but you know you weren't looking at that at the time you're going oh that's a pretty design and you could put different colored pens in there and Depending upon where you position things, you could put spirals over spirals, or you could end up making just one big mess because you just go a little crazy there. But <laughs> you know, that was one of those things that uh, you know you were trying to figure out. Well, how do I make this design? So it actually kind of kick your your brain in the gear. You know, running around shooting people with little toy guns was kind of cool, but you know, when you could sit down and actually kick your brain in the gear, that was always kind of fun too. Yeah, I, I always like gifts like that. I remember one of the, and I had dozens of them, and I can't remember all the different ones I had. But I was talking to a friend the other day. Was the um, uh, little elect the pre-electronic games? They were actually handheld games that were kind of mechanical. And like I had a draw poker one, and I had a blackjack one, and it actually had little wheels that spun in it. Well, of course, I wanted to know how the things work, so I was always trying to look in there and figure it out. How can I do this? And yeah, I, I never broke it. I, it's one of the few toys that when I took it apart, I got back together. So that was the good thing. But I never could quite figure out the gearing inside of it. And it, it was it was fairly heavy. The thing was probably about the size of a Mac Mini now, and thickness and square. But it ran on like two or three D-cell batteries, and it had a motor in it that turned wheels and, and made these wheels spin around and then you pushed for each of the five cards that were in your hand you pushed a button and it would stop the wheel and that would bring up the card and yes my parents were teaching me to gamble at the, at the tender age of nine years old but it was very amusing <laughs> but I had I had that one and I had a blackjack machine or not a blackjack a slot machine that worked similar it had the little one arm bandit, but it was all mechanical. And this stuff just fascinated the hell out of me trying to figure out how it worked. And and like I said, I took them apart and got them back together and they kept working. And it wasn't until just maybe, I don't know, maybe five, maybe as much as ten years ago that these things finally broke down and came apart. I mean, they just deteriorated. I mean, they weren't the highest quality things to begin with, but uh, they were cool. 
kind of sounds like if uh, Charles Babbage had made uh, slot machines or something like that. Yeah, I mean, they really were. They were miniature versions, and they ran on D-cell batteries. I mean, these things were not lightweight. They were fairly heavy. Oh, yeah, I think if you were throw it at your brother or sister or something, you could probably knock them out. Oh, yeah, well, that was a whole different story. My sister and my brother, or my brother-in-law saved my sister many times from, uh, as me being a child, I did manage, you know, when we were younger, Tonka trucks, you remember those? Oh, yeah, I got a couple of them, too. I loved, I still got some of my Tonkas, uh, and they're metal. They were all metal. They weren't metal and plastic or plastic like they are now. These were all metal. I had a big green hydraulic dump truck. My sister ticked me off. I picked that thing up from one side of the living room, and I threw it, and my brother-in-law caught it before it exited through the bow, the bow front window in my mother's house. That would have killed you. Yes. That would not have ended well for me at all. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. But I had a lot of Tonkas that I loved. Oh, I I've loved. still got some of my... I got a, a, one of the old G, uh, green army Jeeps. And that the top was plastic, so you could take it off. It had a removable top, but it had the fold-down windshield. Mm-hmm. And then the other one I got was a... Uh, it was really, I always thought it was neat even back then. It was, uh, I call it a snub nose uh, pickup. It was an old Ford pickup. I think it was one of those where the engine was tucked underneath the uh, uh, driver's compartment there. So it didn't have your hood out front. It just ended uh, uh, at the windshield there. And then it had a horse trailer that it pulled behind it there. It had the little horses in it, you know, and the whole uh, thing. And uh, my grandparents gave me that one then. And they, uh, so that would have been like the late 60s when I got those. But yeah, and I mean, that was metal. If you were to start wailing on somebody, you could probably actually kill them with that. I mean, that was good, solid metal, no cheap plastic stuff there. No, no, yeah, because I've still got my road grader. I've got that Jeep you're talking about. I don't mm. think I have the roof to it anymore. I still I have might. the Jeep. I have the Jeep. I've got, I've got a road grader. I've got a uh, bucket, or. Uh, a bulldozer, and then I've got a uh, a, a crane loader. A, you know, it had a big claw that came out, reach down, grab a load, pick it up, turn around, and drop it. I've still got those. They're out in the garage, and the kids play with them occasionally. Uh, but they, uh, I'm afraid they'll kill each other if they get mad at each other with those things. <laughs> So. Oh, yeah, and you, know, you think about some of the toys that we had, and you look at the ones that they have nowadays, and, you know, they got all the safety warning labels on them, and, you know, they're all plastic and soft around corners and, you know, and everything. And some of this stuff, uh, you know, why we lived, I don't know, because it was hard metal and, you know, heavy and sharp corners and parts that would come off you could swallow and choke yourself. And um, But, you know, we grew up, we had fun, and, you know, I don't think we're none the worse to wear for it. It was survival of the fittest in our day. Well, yeah, we were trying to prove Darwin right, I guess. So. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the other geek gifts that I got, I was probably, I want to say, nine, ten years old, if memory serves me. So this is early, late 60s, early 70s. I got a radio wristwatch. Now, this thing was amazing. I had seen it in the store, and I said, oh, how cool it was. Well, it was it was a band that went around your wrist. As you would expect, but there, it was an AM radio, and I was so I was so geekily proud of it. But this thing was probably I don't know about two, maybe a little bit more than two inches in diameter, and probably three quarters of an inch thick. So I mean, when I had it on my wrist, I mean there was no concealing it. I had this; it looked like a terrible growth on my arm. 
Well, I was going to say it'd have to be because transistors back then were probably like the size of a person's fingernail. They weren't like micro transistors or anything like that. No, it ran on, it had three big silver knobs on the side of it. One you took off, and that was the battery compartment. It ran on one AA battery. Then it had an off-on volume switch in the middle, and then a, a, a round uh, tuning knob on the other side of it. And this was uh, those knobs were probably about the size of a dime in diameter. So I mean, this thing was not little, and the top of it was one huge silver speaker. But I was so you know I had the ultimate in portable radio, kind of like the Dick Tracy. Uh, what, uh, television watch thing he had. Oh yeah, but I, you know, I had, you know, I had a radio that I wore on my wrist. And for those younger listeners, you know, you can't even appreciate the fact of a portable radio as we, you know, even small radios and stuff that we used to use back then. Oh yeah, I had the small transistor, little square one. Well, little. I mean, about. Well, I was going to say about the pack is. Uh, uh, two cigarettes. But I don't know if people know what cigarette packs look like anymore either. But. Um, Two, maybe two tins of Eltoids, maybe they can relate to that. But, you know, they were about that big. And, you know, we said it was small, but, I mean, um, you know, nowadays you got – I got Bluetooth headphones that are about the size of a little Bic lighter. There I go again with all those uh, arcane references here. But, yeah. you know, they were they're just small uh, – it's just a small little thing. And I clip it on there. I got my earbuds that go in there. That's got a radio built into it, but it'll also go to my uh, iPod Touch if I want to listen to a podcast or whatever. But, you know, even back then, though, just to have be able, and this is AM. You had static. Um, you know, at night you could pick up um, um, radio stations from across the country. Maybe not with the small one, but I had the bigger AM radio up in my room, and you'd sit there and I'd listen to the Denver stations and all this kind of stuff. But you know, AM radio. I mean, that was really cool. And then when FM came out, it was like, wow, no static, and uh, you know, the music was good and clear, and um, you know, uh, and just to be able to listen to music whenever you want. I mean, that was just cool. I mean, it 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 really was something for us to be able to listen to radio anywhere, anytime. I mean, people take that for granted nowadays, and you know, they always have their iTunes with them. They always have, you know, whatever around. But just to have that portability and all that, and you know, I can remember walking around with my cassette recorder and, and stuff like that when you had a, you know, how we used to make the tapes. We'd hold the microphone in front of the speaker to record the songs off the radio. It sounded like crap. Yeah, and then you're sitting there and you hear your favorite song come on. You run up and you press the record button. So you probably missed the first five uh, or maybe ten seconds of a song. Uh, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think I probably still got a few of those tapes laying around here because that was we didn't have a lot of money. And that was the only way that you could uh, save your music if you wanted to listen to it at some other time. Yeah, yeah, it's, that's true. And uh, it's something else that, uh, that always uh, amazed me was – how you know you put those tapes together and then we think we could duplicate them well you go trying to and you get another cassette recorder and you, you know you've already lost quality because you held a microphone in front of the radio speaker then you got a, that recording that's total crap then you get another one and you put like two cassette recorders together and then you have them recording one to the other one so you could dupe your tape for your friend and it's like Oh my God! And people talk about, oh well, I can't listen to anything that's that's not 192 bit or something. I'm going, do you have any idea of the crap we used to listen to and how bad it was? 
AM radio with crackle and and then recorded tapes of that and then I never tried duplicating uh, duplicating it that way but yeah and we didn't have you know because right now I mean I got cables laying around here that you know, like go from the mic to the headphone jack and two recorders you you know we didn't yeah we didn't have that you just put them side by side there yeah. and you would do that and you know and we were happy what was wrong with us the same thing that's wrong with us nowadays oh okay. It's a, mental, uh, it's a mental instability from being yeah. hit by large Tonka trucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and suffering a, a insufficiency of wallet. <laughs> there, there you go. You know something else that I that I was a geek about, and I still am, and I still collect them. Uh, I'll tell a little secret on myself. Is Matchbox cars. Not Hot Wheels. None of the, I was a Matchbox purist. You know the miniature cars. I, the the equivalent nowadays, Hot Wheels have completely taken over. There isn't really much else on the market but Hot Wheels. But I I never liked Hot Wheels. I was a Matchbox purist. Did you ever collect those? I didn't collect them. I mean, I had a few of them. Um, I had one. Uh, it was a little. Um, the one I remember right offhand was a little steel truck, and it had little plastic girders that would go in back. Then you could take the girders and put them together, and you had just enough to make like a little box or something like that. But they were to stack on there. And, you know, I'm sure the girders have been long lost thanks to my nieces and nephews playing with stuff and losing things for me. But That was a little white truck, wasn't it? I think so. And they had the little racks in the back on the flatbed so you could put your, your girders in there and stack them up. And... You want to see one? I think I can. Mine's out in the garage. I've got it. <laughs> It had little red girders, yes, yep. and, they, and they snapped together. There was probably a half a dozen or so of them That's on the truck. Great. Yeah, I had, I've got, I've still got my entire collection. Um, probably close to a hundred, maybe a hundred and twenty cars that I got over the years. See, I only had five or six, and that's the only one I remember right offhand. I think I probably had like a yellow car. Ooh, I do. I do remember playing with those things because I thought it was just neat. You could sit at the table. I mean, you didn't. You, you, you know, mom maybe wouldn't let me put the big one up there, but I could put the little matchbox cars up there and you know play around with them, make a little route or something like that. And oh yeah, they were they were the greatest thing to me. It, every every holiday or any occasion when it came time for somebody to give me something, I would get you know one or two matchbox cars, and they just built up. Now, the reason I bring those up, those aren't so geeky, but this will hit Mike right where he lives, so to speak. I had, <laughs> I don't want to hurt him. The <laughs> I had something called the Matchbox Country and the Matchbox City. Now, you have to envision this. This was, this was high tech back in the day. This was a thing about the size of a small suitcase. And then when it was closed up, but you opened it up, you flipped the lid up, and then you flipped the sides down, and you had an entire plastic cityscape or countryscape uh, that you could drive the cars around on, complete with roads. The country one had a field that you could plow, that you could run your matchbox plows over. It had a little covered bridge and little houses and... I never had one of those, but I think I remember seeing them. That yeah, you could just lay it out, and you had a little you had a little layout there that you could uh, just run around and do everything on. Yeah, you you didn't have to use quite as much imagination power to do that. And then I got to the point where I figured out how to put them together. You know, so you had the city and the country, and you'd bridge together. I'd take over an entire table. And then as I got older, I took my model trains 
and I got, there was one of them had a perfect place to wedge, and you did have to wedge it in, but I'd wedge the track down <laughs> into the thing, and the train could pass through the city. So it was pretty cool. Or the, no, was that, the, that was the country I could get the train to pass through. So, so you, were, you were modifying your, uh, your toys to take them beyond what they were meant to do. Oh yes, if you're you know a geek and a tinkerer, you got to modify, you got to tweak it. Well, yeah, I would do things like somebody gave me. It was a little plastic tootsie roll dispenser. You could put your tootsie rolls in there. You put a penny in, and then it would allow it to dispense. Well, we didn't want to you know buy tootsie rolls all the time to put in there. I still played with it, and what I did was it had kind of a, a shape uh, to it, so that um, I think maybe I took it apart, maybe I left it together. I don't remember for sure. But this would become a spaceship for me then, because then I could run around the house with this thing, just because it kind of looked like a spaceship, because it's kind of oblong, and it kind of came out at one end, so it kind of looked like um, maybe, uh, I'm trying to remember my Star Wars ships here, um, not an X-Wing, what was the other one? Um, TIE, TIE Fighter? Fighter? Yeah. I, I, if I remember correctly, I think it kind of looked like a TIE Fighter, you know, kind of bulgy at one end, long at the other, uh, or maybe something from Battlestar Galactic. But to me, that then it became a spaceship. I could still play with it, because like I say, uh, we weren't going to be wasting money on buying Tootsie Rolls all the time, but I could still run around with this thing and play with it and become a... Uh, uh, you know, would become a spaceship. Or one real cool thing that my brother helped me do. Now, he's 14 years older than I am. So, I mean, he was older. He helped me do this. But he gave me, it was, and again, this is one of those dangerous toys. It was, uh, I think, cast iron. It was a, I think, a P-51 Mustang uh, plane that was about, you know, about a foot across. But it was one of those that uh, was supposed to be on an aircraft carrier with the fold-up wings. Mm-hmm. Well, we decided, you know, it's an airplane. It should fly. So what we did was we literally got out bailing wire, and we found a couple little spools. So around the tail and around the front, we put the bailing wire on. We put these spools up. So then uh, then we would string up a, uh, a string or something. So then we could fly this thing down the string. Um, and, uh, you know, it was kind of crude. It, 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 it sort of kind of worked. But, you know, it was just kind of cool. To, and you, all you could do is just put it at one end and fly down the other. You'd have to put something at the end. Because this thing was heavy. It would pick up speed. You want something soft at the end so it wouldn't get destroyed when it got there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we scraped the crap out of the paint doing that. Um, but, uh, you know, he, uh, you know, my brother did a couple things like that for me. The other thing I remember him doing, I had um, an Alice Chalmers tractor that somebody, uh, a good iron uh farm tractor toy that somebody had given me well you know we thought it should have a cab on it so uh, and he's the you know, the artistic type he draws and he's actually uh, illustrated a, a book that's on Amazon but um, he sat down with some cardboard and he cut out a cab and he cut around everything so it fit on there really nice and I wonder if I still got that cab around here but it was cardboard and then after he got it done he took some contact paper that mom had and put it on there so it looked real nice and kind of protect the cardboard and everything but it had the window to it and it had the little thing that came out. I think you looked at some pictures somewhere. And, you know, he put it on there. But that was just, you know, something homemade that went on there. And, you know, man, I love that thing because now my tractor has a cab on it just like Dad's does out there. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That is that is pretty cool for your brother to do something like that. Well, yeah. Like I said, there's enough of an age difference there that, you know, I looked up to him. You know, I imagine if we would have been closer together, we probably would have been trying to kill each other. But with that age difference in there, there was a buffer. So uh, you had to be nice to his little brother. Well, you know, we had – I can remember a couple times getting toys for Christmas. A couple – two or – well, one was for my birthday and one was for Christmas. I got a toss across. You remember that game, which is still around. It's, you know, 
tic-tac-toe where you're tossing bean bags. Can't even speak. Bean bags across to try to get your three X's and three O's. So it's not quite the uh, the inane game that the regular toss across or regular tic-tac-toe is. Um, but that, and I remember also getting a game called it was Electronic Monday Night Football. And I got these two games, and, you know, they were for me, ostensibly. Bullpucky. <laughs> Every adult in my family played them. The, the Monday Night Football one looked like a little football stadium. And you had whoever was playing offense used one side of it, whoever was playing defense. And you had these playing cards that you stuck in. You slid this thing back and forth to select your play then the offensive player he did the same thing and when everybody was when you were both ready he pushed a switch and something would light up on the field a little square it was just an incandescent bulb underneath it because what was underneath was a grid uh, a grid and with the results of what you the two plays you had chosen and by moving these two things back and forth you were moving this little light thing across you know in any direction i was moving it on the defensive players moving it on the uh y-axis and the offense players moving in along the x-axis and as it slides around underneath like if i slide up here and you slide down here it's going to light up something in the upper upper right corner of the thing or if i go down it's going to go to the lower right corner Does it, you, you look puzzled but i, I it, no i think no i'm just contemplating what you're, you're talking about it sounds to me like it's just a grid of um squares there and depending upon which ones you make contact with will determine the outcome of the play. Yeah, you know, like, I could pick some really great defense and, <laughs> you know, did something like, and, but, and you know, this was great. And then you, it said, all right, plus 10 or turnover. Well, actually, it would just have, like, plus 10 or plus 2 or it would say T-O for turnover or P-E-N for penalty. I mean, it was very low-tech, really, by today's standards. And um, then you move the little marker down the field or sometimes you'd get a TD for touchdown. Your play resulted in a touchdown and all that. And um, it was a once you, if you really studied the game, you could and you could kind of watch. You didn't have to see the play the other player selected, but you could kind of figure out where, if they were how far up and down they were on their their scale. You could then figure out where you wanted to be to push it in your favor. You're, you're gaming the system already. Yeah. Well, again. I, at my age, I didn't figure that out until I was a little bit older. It took me a couple of years to figure that out. I think my brother and brother-in-law figured it out pretty early on. Because <laughs> they'd play for like two or three hours, and I'd want to play, and they'd play for 15 freaking minutes. You know. <laughs> well, and that's kind of like, and I don't think it was one a gift that I got, but it was around the house. I don't remember where it came from. It was, uh, let's see. That they call it the brain game or IQ test or something like that, and it was just this uh, basically a piece of uh, uh, good cardboard, and you had this wire with two ends on it, and there's these different metal uh, um, posts on the board, and you put like a question card or something in there, and you would pick a question, and then the other end of the wire you'd pick an answer, and if it was right, the light would light up. You put a battery in back and light up there. Well, you know, after a while, I figured out, no, just take. Uh, look around on the back and see which wires go. So then I didn't even have to know what the uh, question or the answer was. I just knew where to touch the wires and I'd get the right answer. <laughs> so, I mean, I came that system, too. Yeah, it was yeah. Uh, a little easier for the systems that we had back then once you started to understand that, that you could uh, beat them because they were, uh, by today's terms, very, very simplistic computers. 
Well, yeah, and I think that's probably the definition of what makes us a geek. We wouldn't just play the games. We'd find out how the games work. We'd look at it, study it, change it, modify it. We wouldn't just leave it as it is. I mean, we couldn't just be happy with things the way they are. No, we have to go out there. We have to make it either more complicated or, you know, destroy the illusion by figuring out how it works. And But, you know, we just, we've got to know how this stuff works and we've got to change it to the way that we uh, want to play it or how we want it to work. Oh yeah, it's it, it's within our DNA almost to to want to do things the same way we do with computers nowadays. Truly, the definition of a geek. Um, thinking about geek stuff and geek toys, were you ever much of a model train or train a uh, toy train person when you were younger? No, I wasn't. But now my father-in-law, uh, before he passed away, he had a whole bunch of model railroad stuff. I mean, he was part of a model railroaders club, um, and they would go around, they would set up these displays, and you know, um, we had to sell a lot of that stuff after he passed away, but he had tracks. He had, uh, I, I think the guy was actually kind of obsessive-compulsive, because he had, would get all these little screws and bolts and stuff for putting stuff together. He had, like, plastic trays with uh, you know, literally hundreds of each individual little, and I mean, I'm talking small, I'm talking, like, um, you know, bigger than a grain of rice, but, you know, about that size, just small size stuff for putting it together. He had a whole bunch of different um, uh, cars and um, engines and stuff. And so, you know, each of the uh, grandkids, which would only be my my three kids, they each got a, uh, a car from, you know, the collection there before we got rid of it. But, yeah, I mean, he was a big, um, you know, model railroader. He had the hat and he had one of those little wooden things that you blow into that would make a whistle sound. Uh, you know, and I never quite... I found it fascinating, but I never, you know, really got into it, you know, to any level like that. Oh, see, I was I was eaten up with trains. I still have, um, and I've showed it before, and I'll let Mike see it, and maybe I can put a. This is the very first model train I ever got. It's a very tiny little HO scale engine. Not that it's the smallest thing there is. Um, no longer works because of my enthusiasm. One day after I finished playing with uh, my train set, I left it on. And when I came back in, there was a, a scorch mark on my mother's tile floor downstairs. It was uh, the old uh, probably vinyl or cement tile floor, uh, and nothing worked from that on. There was a perfect outline of my transformer on the train tra- on the floor, and that was kind of the end of my little engine there. I keep it as a, as a, a memory, uh, and it's a great little thing, but I still play with trains when we took the kids up to see the santa claus train we went to the national toy and train national toy train museum which is just outside of uh, Stroudsburg, pennsylvania near lancaster pennsylvania and uh, a good mutual friend of ours the mac mommy has been up in that area and seen some of these things so she'll know if she's happened to be listening and hello melissa if you are um but uh i still love trains and i was just looking online at the catalog the uh, Lionel catalog because I moved on I moved up in scale to the bigger trains what's called O scale and um, I was just looking at the uh, collector sets that they have out now and uh, just truly amazed that you know these were the high tech toys of our fathers when they were younger I mean during the 40s and the 50s these were the toys that kids wanted even in the 30s these were the toys that kids really wanted to have and um, it was it's it it just amazes me at some of the technology that they managed to put into even things back then. And these again were heavy duty tin plate type of trains, 
that again, if you threw them at somebody, you would probably kill them if it made contact with any vital part of a person. Um, but then you also had the thrill of electrocuting yourself. Um, <laughs> you know, there was always that fun too, laying your fingers across the two rails, and that was that was always a little, ooh, you know, you know. I never had. Never had that experience, but uh, we got an old black and white TV for somebody that uh, they were just going to get rid of it, and the picture was rolling up and down. So I'm trying to figure out what to do with it, and try. Uh, so I had my hand stuck in back of the thing there, and was making different adjustments. And I think I accidentally hit one of the uh, uh, capacitors or something because I got a heck of a tingle up my arm there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I playing around with electric trains when I was younger. I got more than my fair share, and they, and, and admittedly they were accidental where I'd touch the rails and did I, I mean i knew not to but i would be doing something and and not concentrating right at the point and it's not like i was doing it on purpose and i'd you know wow yeah <laughs> a little thrill there so you know it, it was it was it was a cheap thrill and it, it always made me sit there for a second and go ow and, <laughs> and then okay kevin slow down pay attention to what you're doing and now nowadays when i run the trains we get the trains out and the kids want to run them uh, and my wife is so gracious and kind. She'll, I'll put something over the dining room table upstairs, and uh, I'll put my train set. And I posted a few videos online. Uh, we've put up the train set and run it up there on the table, and the kids have great fun. Well, especially the big O scale, because it's a three rail track and the, it gets power from the middle, and it completes the circuit by going then going to the outside rail, and that's what sends the current through. Well, when those wreck, a lot of times if they'll hit, you know, you'll get a big. Pfft, you know, just a little arc or something like that, which is perfectly safe. It doesn't hurt anything. And you get that little ozone smell. That still freaks my kids out, that, that smell of ozone. Is it, you know, real quick like that? And they go, ah! I mean, fortunately, they're they're more scared of electricity than I am, so it's well, that, that may be that may be a good thing, but uh, I know that I, I didn't play around with the Troy, uh, the to- uh, trains when uh, my father-in-law got them out. But he set it up at uh, like Christmas time, and the kids would uh, sit there and play with them, and and um, you know they'd set them up in the living room on the carpet or something like that, and they would run them around for a while. But like I say, he um, the, the model railroaders they'd set up these big layouts. Sometimes they'd go to the mall, or they even had a museum set up for a while that uh, they were you know setting up dioramas. They were doing the whole the whole schmear there on that thing. Well, you know, um, I was watching, I've got a couple of videotapes. I think it's by Thomas, oh, what's it, Thomas McCann or something like that. Um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, these videos, and they're, they're a mixture of things. Are, in some cases, they're very nostalgic for me because they're train layouts that are running through Christmas scenes, and they got Christmas music playing in the background. It's, it's just really, uh, really neat. And, but this guy specializes in train videos, whether it's train layouts, you know, some guy that's built a layout like you talk about your father-in-law had, um, what they, the, his model train club would do. But sometimes uh, he'll do he'll pull out old TV commercials or old commercials from uh, the heyday of model trains. And what really amazes me is they'll show the ones from the 50s, and they show these commercials. You know, it's such a great Lionel Christmas. You get a train that's what it and now here's our new uh helicopter car and our new missile commander car you can launch your icbm missile and hit another car and destroy the car and then rebuild it it's like you know popular culture making it into the geek toy of the day which was the the trains and and you know 
I shouldn't say popular culture, but political themes where they're, you know, it's okay to play with an ICBM kid. You can launch the ICBM and take out your enemy. <laughs> so, oh, I remember some of those uh, train commercials. Uh, they would even say, with real smoke, you would be able to put something in there. I don't know if it was a pellet or what it was. And the tra- train would uh, smoke as it chugged along. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had uh, the original IBMs had smoke pellets and then, or Lionel's IBMs. Great guess. <laughs> <laughs> the original Lionel's had uh, smoke pellets and then they moved on to smoke fluid. Um, and then uh, I think most of them do smoke fluid now. I don't think anybody still uses the pellets. And if anybody's a model railroader, they're going to scream at me. Um, I don't get to deal with my trains as much. The kids and I take them out a couple times a year. Oddly enough, though, I don't put them around the tree because. There's not quite enough room to set up the trains around the tree and then still have presents and, and things like that. It takes up too much space in the house, so uh, as much as I would love to. So, you know, I settle for a couple times a year taking over the dining room table and um, and, and doing that. So uh, that that's pretty cool. And, and uh, you know, model trains do just, to me, speak Christmas. I mean, as a kid growing up, that was Christmas. And like I said, I know they would put some of these, uh, you know, dioramas together, and they would have the whole Christmas scene, and they'd probably have like a Santa train in there or something, and um, all kind of things for uh, uh, people to play with. Yeah, yeah, it was, you know, it was more to it. You did have to have uh, a little more imagination uh, back the, uh, or at that time than you do nowadays, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm starting to sound like a crotchety old fart here, but it seems like some things nowadays, kids get spoon-fed a lot of stuff. and I just don't know if they – maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do get a chance for their imagination to soar and take off. But like you say, back when we were kids, uh, just out of necessity because we didn't have the money or the opportunity, we would have to do some of the stuff. Like I say, my uh, brother modifying the uh, plane so that it would fly or making a cab for it, we had to do that because uh, – you know, we just didn't have the the money for some of that stuff, and it, it created, uh, you know, it helped with problem solving. We want to do this. How do we make it work? And you know, I think it actually, you know, grew our mind, and you know, I think made us better people. Well, you know, the talk about that. I had a set of uh, wooden blocks that I got when I was really young, and you know, I say wooden blocks, and I'm sure everybody has their pictures. These were, and they were store bought, but these were basically two by fours cut into multiple shapes. I mean, there was one that was a two-by-four that was about two feet long, and then they had a couple that were about half that length, and then they had some that were cut to, like, six inches with little arches out of them. They were cut, they were cut, it was just two-by-fours, cut into all types of different shapes. And I would build whole cities and stuff out of that stuff, and, you know, for the trains, for my matchbox cars. I would play for hours with those things. And then when I got tired, I'd pick up the big one and chase my sister through the house and threaten to beat the crap out of her with it. <laughs> I would do that with my nieces and nephews because they were closer in age to me than uh, my brothers and sisters were. So, um, yeah, and we would have those, you know, experiences like that. But I remember we had a – this was before Legos. I don't remember what they were called, but they were little brick-like things, the same idea that they would lock together. We didn't even have a complete set. Some of them were broken and stuff, but then they had like little plastic – windows and doors you could put in so you could build a house and it had the cardboard so you could put a uh, uh, roof on it and everything and 
I don't know that we had enough to make a complete house, but you know, we'd do what we could. And then other times I would take them and just start building some weird sort of, you know, um, contraption. Uh, I probably wasn't on acid, but people might have thought I might have been looking at some of the stuff that I built. But you know, <laughs> you just let your mind run wild and see what you can come up with stuff. Oh yeah, the, the uh, I remember when I got my first set of Legos too. Gosh, and we've Mark and I have talked a few times on the show about uh, Legos. Oh my God, I had Legos everywhere, and I remember hearing the complaint about, you know, somebody'd go through the house and I'd left the Lego out and they'd step on it. I thought, what's the big deal? You stepped on the Lego. Well, then as my kids got older and they started leaving them laying, I'd step on them in the morning when I was getting ready. My God, those damn things hurt. God. I know. And if I, I should have been smart. I should have invented a, uh, a Lego sweeper, kind of like a carpet sweeper that you just run over your floor and pick those things up. Because, yeah, I would, uh, uh, like, I didn't have them, but my kids, uh, we got them Legos and they would leave them laying around. Yeah, I've had that experience. And when we were living on the farm in the trailer house, that had thick green shag carpet on it. So that would hide those things just a little bit better. Not necessarily cushion them, but it would hide them. So you'd be walking along, you'd step on them, and yeah, you'd say some words that weren't, you know, kid friendly and you hope they weren't around when you stepped on them. But, um, yeah, and my kids had a lot of those. And my oldest son, uh, who's a high-functioning autistic, but he would take these things and he would build the uh, the Metrodome in Minneapolis. Um, and he had the whole thing laid out. And then on the bottom, he'd have cardboard that he could take out. And one side would be when they were, for, when they were playing football and they could take it out and flip it over. And on the other side would be the baseball diamond set up for when they, the twins played there, the twins <laughs> and the Vikings. And he had this all set up. And then he, uh, um, working at the school, I brought home a couple old textbooks that they were throwing out. He just took them and made them the, the dome for the thing. Cause he didn't quite have enough stuff for the right things to be able to put a dome on the stadium but um he would just use those and he had the whole thing and you know that was just you know purely out of his imagination and his you know from my point of view unfortunate love of sports which we won't get into but uh you know he just did that all uh on his own yeah we we really did and and i think it's great that you passed your imagination on to your kids um some of my kids had show it at times and other times they're like, oh, if it's not right in front of them, they're not figuring it out. And I, I kind of have to stimulate the little imagination. So, well, now we've talked a lot about gifts that we got from the past. But one of the things is the holidays come up that I thought would be interesting. And I'm somewhat inspired by the last week's episode of the No Silly Cast, uh, the Chit Chat Across the Pond section, was free geek gifts that you could give. This uh, Allison was talking to... Uh, Nightwise, who is a, who's a great character. I love listening to his show. Another great show that uh, you should go check out, uh, the Nightcast uh, at nightwise.com. And I really I really encourage He does video casts, he does podcasts, and he occasionally does something he calls a, a docu-cast, where he puts up a PDF uh, with a bunch of how-to. So he's great. He's very smart. He's a cross-platform geek. You know, he uses whatever works best for what he wants to do and easiest. So I encourage you to go check it out. But he and Allison were talking about, you know, portable stuff or free stuff that you can give uh, as, as geek gifts. And some of his suggestions were stuff that I really liked. I mean, the the one thing that I and I used to use a lot was uh, something called portable apps. Have you ever played with that, Mike? Not a lot, um, because I haven't had 
too much of a need for them because either if I go someplace, I got my own computers with me. And if I am someplace, I probably won't have access to a computer to use portable apps. So it's never really something I've gotten into, but it does seem appealing that if you can go put an app that you want on there, go somewhere and plug it in and be able to use your own apps without having to install anything on anybody else's computer, um, that would be a good thing. Yeah, if you work in a lockdown environment, like, you know, a lot of people probably do at work. I mean, most companies nowadays do lock down what you can install. And, you know, if, you, in, if you're, especially if you're on a company computer. Um, but you can basically uh, put it on a thumb drive. You can put it on an SD card, whatever. And you install portable apps, and then you can install, which is the overarching architecture, almost like an OS, then you plug in the different applications you want inside of it. Like you could put Firefox in, you could put Chrome, uh, you could put, and most of this stuff was Windows focused. I had a, I had one that I had set up that I carried around that had, uh, I think it was a Python, I think it was a Python compiler and everything built into it. I had Firefox installed in portable apps. I had, um, Oh, what's the great text editor on Windows that I use and can't even... Notepad++. Uh, you know, I had all kinds of little utilities and stuff like this that, you know, wouldn't fit in most corporate environments, but I'd be someplace and need to do something. And I'd just whip out my handy thumb drive, run the portable.exe. It didn't install anything. And then, you know, I could get to all these apps that I had built, that I had put inside of it. And you could store your data either on the local machine or back on the thumb drive. Uh, you can go see this over at portableapps.com, and it's really cool. And it's something if you want to give a free geek gift to somebody, um, you could build them either, like I said, it work on an SD card, anything you know like that that you can do. You could put it on a CD-ROM drive, I guess, if you wanted to, um, and and have that as 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 your uh, thing. But I guess that would be a little tough because then you couldn't store the data. You'd have to store it. But the good thing is when you're done, it leaves nothing behind unless you stored a file on the local machine. It leaves no trace of it behind or the application that ran. So it's really cool. Well, and um, I think I haven't explored it too much, but I think there is a team viewer portable program which would be nice because if i'm somewhere and i want to get to my home computer for something to be able to log in maybe to control something just to be able to plug in a uh, usb drive and be able to run team viewer access my computer at home um even if i want it was someplace like maybe even um um just uh, in a coffee shop or something with my tablet or something and i would rather uh access uh, it at home without uh, going through their sketchy, you know, Wi-Fi wherever you may be. Um, Team Viewer in it would be a, something I would like to try and play with. Yeah, T- I've used Team Viewer for another good one like that's Join.me. That's a good one too. It's a fairly new one. I've used it a few times, um, and it's 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 along the thing. Team Viewer is more oriented towards support. Join.me is more oriented towards the WebEx thing where you're trying to. Um, uh, you know, just share and have a conference and, and, and talk with people and share your desktop uh, that way. More more WebEx style, I guess, is the division point. TeamViewer I use to help support some of my friends when uh, I don't feel like driving across town or across the county to help somebody out. So Well, and you see, you've kind of stumbled into the category that I like to call um, geek, uh, gifts that you give somebody else is actually a gift for you. Yes. Um, 
because I don't have to – thankfully, I don't have to support a lot of people. But I know he, I hear other people talking about it. And just being able for you to sit where you are, log into somebody's computer and fix something that they have – you know, God bless their heart. They've screwed up on their own. Um, you know, To be able to do that from uh, a distance is a good thing. Now, I do have to do – tech support in town here once in a while i mean my neighbor next door i've gone over there and her on her windows xp machine the task bar is about half of the screen because she's accidentally dragged it and didn't know (laughs) i see you making that face mark shaking your head we we know these people you know they're nice people but computer not so well you know uh and you know drugging the taskbar halfway up the screen or it's off on the side of the screen or and um i don't know if i've told that the story here before or not but i went over there one day and she said she called me up and said mike you gotta come over and help me uh every time i start up uh firefox it plays the lord's prayer and i'm going well if you were running internet explorer i could understand that but um i get over there and I'm looking it over, and I see she has all these tabs uh, cro- open across the top of her Firefox. And I start, uh, I decide, well, you know, I'm going to count these as I close them. And I got up to like 73 tabs that she had open in Firefox. And um, one of them was uh, a site that somebody had sent her that she went to, and it was one of those inspirational ones where music would play in the background and had the animated stuff. You know, one of those that would probably win a cheesy uh, web design award or something like that. But she had, and that was what was. Was playing the music she had several that was going to the same page because she just, and i said okay you know i'm trying to be real nice because she's a really nice lady and she does reward me financially for going over there to help her but and i'm kind of like you know this little x up here in the corner of the tab if you click that and close all those oh really yeah and that you know and i had to explain it to her and you know i think she got it now because i haven't had to go over there to help her but you know anything any kind of program that would just let you uh, sit you know in your in your house and be able to help some, you know, relative uh, far away be able to correct their mistakes. That would be a good thing. Yeah, a, another gift along those lines. You got Team Viewer. You got Join.me. Another good one for that 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 is venerable amongst a lot of Mac people and I think amongst Windows users too is Dropbox. Because you know you've gotten a case where somebody said, "Well, I've got this file. And I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to open it." Well, you know, you can be a little selfish. If they don't have Dropbox, you can step them through maybe how to install it, or you can just send them a link or whatever, and and you get the file and you can work on it. But the good thing is if you can convince them to join Dropbox, then this is one of those gifts where you give them something and you get back because then you get extra uh, storage space in the cloud because you got somebody else to join. So, I mean, it's one of those gifts like you were talking about where it benefits you they get something and you get something in return. Well, and, you know, geeks like us, we need massive uh, file backups because we save a lot of stuff. But your average computer user, I don't think saves a lot of stuff. Maybe a few documents, a few pictures. They don't get crazy. Uh, you know, if you put Dropbox on there and teach them to kind of store their stuff in Dropbox or you can point it to a specific folder that you want it to save to, this could become their backup plan because what's a basic Dropbox account? Two two, two or two and a half gigs. Two, I think it's about two gigs or maybe they've upped it just recently. So for a lot of people, this could be their backup plan because it's stored in the cloud. Um so they could go retrieve the uh, you know if something happens to their computer they could go and retrieve it, um, but um, or if they had another computer in the house you could have it synced to there. You know another thing along that lines that um, would work I think too would be um, 
crash plan. Um, I know I've heard some people say that uh, what they'll do is they'll have a crash plan set up in their relative's account, and then they'll have it back up over the internet to their computer in their house because, uh, like I say, most of these people don't have a lot of stuff, so they'll just set up a little file there on their computer and have it backed up remotely over the internet. So if they do something in their computer, you know, goes wonky on them they can go over restore their computer and just pull the files off of their own their own computer at home and put on the on there so that they get all their information back yeah that's great i I, and i know uh, i've heard a lot of people uh talk about doing that for others and i need to do that but right now i'm using all my external storage you know being selfish it's all used for my own stuff but i need to i need to put in something like a drobo or a nas or or something like that where I can uh, mainly my father-in-law and my brother-in-law have their data come back over to me so that, uh, you know, it's safe if they need it. Again, they could probably, you know, five gigs of storage, I could probably back, I could take one of my hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of millions of thumb drives over and <laughs> and, and do a backup for them on one, one or two of those and they'd be covered completely because they don't have a lot, you know, some pictures, uh, you know, a couple dozen emails or anything like that. They don't. They don't have the digital clutter that somebody like uh, uh, you or I might have around. Yeah, and you know, my and I know they always stress offsite storage, and I don't have that yet. But what my plan is, I I know I'm losing geek creds here. I think you lost a few geek creds on the last show, or was it Mark that lost them? Mark loses. I, I never lose. Okay, you're you're cool. But uh, okay, I lose a few uh, geek points for that but um when my son finally moves out on his own and gets his own place set up you know he's a geek like me he's going to have good internet access so what our plan is we'll each have uh, hard, um, external hard drives we'll back up our information we'll swap drives then we can set up a, a crash plan account so then we can do the incremental uh, updates over the internet because to try and get um um oh um uh, i'm drawing a blank what's the uh online uh, backup accounts um carbonite well crash plans online too right no but i mean you know the, the carbonite ones and they do have a plan where they can send you a hard drive you can back it up mail it to them but if you're just trying to back up all your information to carbonite over the internet it could take days weeks months depending upon what your upload speed is to get all this information backed up so i figure if we just take our drives back up our information swap and then all we have to do is incremental uh updates over the internet that would be a lot better and you know your then your information should be safe because he moved somewhere else uh so even if the house burns down there's data off-site uh stores somewhere yeah i do something similar i have a uh, portable hard drive that i do a complete disc clone to and uh, because i work quite a ways from home i store it at, at work uh and it's there it's in a no nobody really knows it's there and there isn't anything i have on it that's really totally secretive so you know i'm not giving out any secrets um, but it's locked in my desk. If somebody goes to the effort to break into my desk, break the lock, dig through the mess that's in there, and find this hard drive, <laughs> hey, you can have the data. There isn't thing that sensitive on. But I do a, a full disk clone every week or so and take it off site. Then I have r- more regular backups that are on site. So I'm never more than a week or maybe two weeks out of sync. Uh, and it's nothing that would be hugely unrecoverable. Uh, and that doesn't exist someplace else. But the gift of backups is a great gift, and it's a free gift in a lot of ways because a lot of people already have what they need maybe to do it with. And again, if you do something like CrashPlan where you're backing up from their computer to your computer, 
hey, so much the better. It, it's it's a great thing. It's something that anybody can use. The other thing that uh, Nightwise brought up as a great thing is introduce people to something like Flickr or Picasa. Help them set up an account. Show them how to uh, show them how to use something like that. Because I think there's a lot of people that don't understand, you know, using that and and how great that can be to get your photos up there. Because a lot of people aren't concerned about super high res, you know, um, you know, 300 megapixel or whatever it is, and and all that. Now we have a lot of friends that are great photographers and do beautiful work, but there are a lot of friends that are just would just, a lot of people I know would be happy just to get their snapshots off site and get them someplace where they were safe. Oh yeah, and I mean I, I like taking pictures, but I'm not the hardcore one. But uh, yeah, I, I want those backed up, and I don't know if uh, either of those would work for me. But it, it is a nice place, even if you want to share pictures, you can put them up there, send out a link to people, and be able to share pictures. Um, and um, you know, I, I think we talked about on the last show we were on together, where I've got the uh, Tornado server set up, and I will share pictures with the uh, the yearbook people. And all I have to do is send them a link; they can look at them. We don't have to be swapping drives. We don't have any of this stuff. So, any way that you can kind of share pictures with other people, so they can see them and download them if they want, you know, that's always a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it you know, help people understand that the old theory that you have to have at least two copies in three places type of situation. I think one, two, three, or whatever it is, you know, you don't have anything unless you have two, you don't have it unless you have it in two places, I guess, or three places or whatever the old adage is. Well, it's the three, two, one backup. Yeah, that's it. One, uh, you got to have at least one backup um, in two different mediums. In three uh, places? In three places, one of them being off-site. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. I couldn't remember. I was trying to remember that, and I couldn't. My brain was kicking out of gear on that, so uh, my apologies. So, uh, but there, that those are great free free types of things that you can help users understand. Benefits you as the geek, and and then benefits them too. So um, that's always great. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of free resources. You and I have talked a couple times too about turning people onto free media that's available online. You know, with the books, uh, you gave me that site. Was it LibriVox? Is that it? Yeah, LibriVox.org for free audiobooks. Yeah, LibriVox.org. There's a lot of free. Uh, Nightwise brought up about the uh, the Internet Archive. Uh, oh, what's it called? I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, InternetArchive.org, I think. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it's it's a great place to get uh, free stuff. You can even actually host podcasts there if somebody's interested in starting a podcast. They will actually host your podcast for you. And it can be your repository online. Um, but it's a great place to get stuff. And uh, some people, geeks like us, will call it the Wayback Machine. If you want to see what a certain website looked like way back in the day, you can go in there and, and call it up. Um, although nowadays with information privacy and protection, I know there's a lot of big companies that are making them pull. And you can. You can petition them to pull stuff down and uh, not keep it up there anymore because they don't want old information or information that they maybe didn't call as well back in the day uh posted up there but um it's it's really it's really good for uh for doing that so i would recommend you know people go take a look there's mid videos and movies you know one of the great things too is turn people on to uh some of the stuff and how to use youtube in a good way i mean for us some of the old television shows can be found on youtube one of my favorite old shows, Dennis the Menace. You can watch some of the old 
uh, I've been watching recently the old Christmas episodes um, that are online and show people how to do that and you know it's 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 a great flashback or to the past to see some of these old shows and stuff that really isn't available anymore and you can't uh, despite it I haven't been able to find it I'm willing to purchase stuff but again if I can't find it to purchase I'm going to find it whatever way I can but it's a it's a great resource because uh, so, some people don't even understand what YouTube is so you know I guess the overall geek gift that we can give uh, our friends and family is help them understand what type of resource the internet is let them see what's available as far as information help them understand it maybe if nothing else you give them a coupon for an hour or two of your time where you'll sit down and work with them and show them all these things because i you know i you wouldn't think in these days but there's still times when i'll sit down in front of a family or a friend's computer and i'll start doing my thing and they'll go how do you know all this how do you do all that how do you know this is there how do you know that's there and all that you know, maybe the greatest gift of all is the time spent with a friend or a family member, um, because we're none of us are going to be around forever. But share the knowledge, turn turn them on to the free things, the the great wealth of knowledge that the internet is. I mean, without the internet, Mike and I wouldn't be friends. We wouldn't we wouldn't be doing this show. I mean, it, it's just not something that would happen. So maybe that's the greatest gift of all that you can give, and it is free. Show them the knowledge and share the knowledge that you have with your friends and family. Yeah, I was going to say that that is probably what uh, the ultimate geek gift is knowledge, because that's why we've torn our toys apart when we were smaller and put them back together and got out the super glue and did all this other stuff. We were building a knowledge base that now we can share with all our friends and family. And, you know, and then we can get out of the stigma of being the weird kid that tears toys apart. You know, there was a justification for all of this. That's right. We, 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 we were making we were becoming better kids that would make us better adults. Yeah, we, there we go. We weren't weird. We we're just progressive. Yeah, yes, that's right. It's just like a friend of mine who's uh, who's lost most of his hair. He said, well, his uh, doctor said, well, you know, eventually hair is a leaveover from the Neanderthals and stuff like that. You're, you're just ahead of the, the uh, genealogical curve with your hair going away because uh, eventually we won't need hair anymore as evolution progresses. So you're evolutionally... Uh, you're you're higher up on the evolution scale than others, and and he tells me that I said, dude, you can make whatever excuse you want. You're bald, just live with. It. <laughs> well, no, I got all the hair jokes coming to mind here. You know, if somebody says, you know, hair doesn't grow on a busy highway, I said it also doesn't grow on a rock pile either. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> either that, or you know, there's nothing for the roots to take hold of underneath. Yeah. <laughs> So if you got bald people who are spotting off about how good they are, just whip those two out and just use them. My, yeah. my gift to you people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like I said, somebody said, well, you'll feel different when you lose your hair. It's like, look, I lose my hair. It's one less thing I have to do in the morning. So the way I look at it. <laughs> well, you know, as you get older, you know, I'm, um, you know our eyesight starts to go. And, uh, um, and I've just uh, – went through the, the process i've uh, lost my uh, top teeth just because i didn't take care of them so i got dentures you know as you get older you know you start to lose all these different things you know either through nature or, you know through whatever choices we made in the past and but you know you just have to learn to adapt and change because we're not the people that we were 30 years ago by any means i'm no. looking at my addition down below my chest here and <laughs> yeah i'm not the, i'm not the kid i was 30 years ago and i shouldn't act that way either that's right 
Well, I think uh, I think on that note, now that we've talked about what we've added and subtracted from ourselves over the years, that it might be about time to uh, wind up the show for this week. So, uh, Mike, why don't you tell people where they can find you at? Yeah, um, I can be found on Twitter at DSC Chipman. Um, I do the um, uh, Bard on the Plains podcast. That can be found at bardontheplains.com where I tell stories and I have other people tell their stories. Um, I also do sci-fi tech talk with Jeff Sire and Julie Keel, and we talk about science fiction. And you know the other stuff that I do, I've got an about.me page, about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. Great. Uh, if anybody wants to know anything about me, you can always find me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash uh, B-I-G underscore I-N underscore V-A. Uh, you can find out about the show over at geekiestshowever.com, and you can leave us feedback there. You can also find us in iTunes, of course, and we hope that's how you're getting to us. Uh, and if you want to know something else about me, I as well have an about.me. You can go over to about.me forward slash Kevin Alder and find links to other things that I may have done, shameful and or otherwise that have been made public. So uh, until next week, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for downloading and listening to the show. And between now and next week, don't forget to hug a geek. Hello, I'm Mike McPeak from Bard on the Plains podcast. Growing up on the plains of South Dakota, I used to listen to my dad tell stories about his life. I never had a chance to record any of these, but I realize that everyone has a story to tell. And that's what I try to do on this podcast, tell anecdotes of my own and have other people tell their stories in their words and in their voice. So please listen to Bard on the Plains podcast. It's about stories, mine and yours.